Amen, amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> Let me invite Kevin Jenkins up on stage. He's going to be teaching us today into Titus chapter 3. So y'all give a round of applause. Yeah. Super excited for this moment. Kevin and his uh, family have been a part of our church. They, before COVID-19, they were willing and dealing with kids, connected to community groups, involved in our church family. And then with COVID-19, willing and dealing life, connected to our church family. And so just super excited uh, for uh, us to get to hear Titus 3 uh, from Kevin. And uh, I can assure you, I mean, he, is, he has been working and praying and preparing for this time. He submitted it to our elders. Our elders are super excited about what he's going to teach. And so I wanted to encourage you to open up your heart, open up your mind, and lean into the Lord because uh, he has good things for us uh, in this time together. So close your eyes, bow your heads. Let me pray for us as, as we transition. Father in heaven, thank you so much. Uh, thank you for the faithful hand on, on Kevin's life, his family. Uh, from before the foundations of the earth, like you, you knew exactly what you were going to do in and through his life. And, and here they are in Austin, Texas in 2020 in the most unusual of circumstances. And like all of us, they're submitting and surrendering their lives to you learning how to follow you, learning how to navigate uh, this season, and yet stepping out in faith to say, hey, I want to be a part of of what you're doing uh, in the lives of North Village Church. And so, God, I pray you would bless this time and that that all of us would hear from you, Lord, and would be drawn closer uh, to you because of it. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, God. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Michael. Good afternoon, church. Uh, It's really good to be here today. I want to thank Pastor Michael and the elders for an opportunity just to bring God's Word uh, here. Uh, If you're joining us online, I want to welcome you. Uh, If it's on Sunday, if it's in the middle of the week, I want to welcome you wherever you are, whenever you are. Uh, I'm just really excited to dive into God's Word with you today. Uh, Like Pastor Michael said, uh, my name is Kevin. My wife, Jessica, is here with me. We have Two little kids, uh, five and three, um, so we're really busy with them, uh, and, and I'll tell you a little, bit about, a little bit more about what that means for us here in a few minutes. Um, Pastor Michael has been leading us through a series on the book of Titus. It's a book that's written by the Apostle Paul to one of his co-workers, Titus, uh, who he is leaving in charge of a group of churches on the island of Crete. And Paul has given Titus a job, organize the church in Crete, remind them of the essentials, and encourage them to live faithfully to God. And throughout this series, Michael has been pulling out the idea of surrender uh, from this text, surrender our inner life, surrender our disruptions, surrender our very lives to Jesus. Now, I don't know about you. But I have found myself getting kind of frustrated at the idea of surrender lately as we've been going through the series. I mean, I don't know how COVID has been for you, but for me and my family, um, it's meant me working from home. I've been working from home since March. Um, So me, my family of four, we're all in one space together all the time. And... (laughs) For me, that has meant um, trying to find a place that is quiet, uh, where I can focus, where I can think, where I can do work, 
and, and sometimes I don't have regular hours. I'm trying to find a place where I can do some of this at 5 a.m. or 10 p.m. or 11 p.m. Um, it's meant surrendering time, space, quiet. It's not all bad, though. I've had to surrender my commute, so there's a plus. But another thing I've noticed is, as, as COVID has gone on this summer is that it seems like it's affected our attitudes as well. Like, people are just frustrated. They're tired. They're weary. I mean, we're all tired of this pandemic. I mean, we're, we're all ready for this thing to be over. We're tired of wearing a mask. And it just seems like everything in life has shifted, and not for the better. Our plans for the summer changed. Your plans for the summer changed. And, and then, on top of all of that change, there's racial tensions in the country. There are people losing their lives, their, their livelihood, their freedoms. People are rioting in the streets. And then, then we have the presidential election. Do I need to say anything about that? Like, people are just frustrated. Maybe that's you today. Maybe it's me. Maybe our attitude has been affected by COVID. Maybe our attitude has been affected by the racial tensions, by the election. Maybe it's something altogether different. Like, maybe it's just being affected at the idea of surrender. Is that you? Well, I've got good news for us today, really good news, because the gospel is going to press in on our hearts through this text today, and it's going to speak to us about our attitudes. So let's dive in, let's look at Titus 3, and see what God has for, for us there. Um, as we turn our attention to Titus 3, I want you to notice that surrendering to Jesus enables us to live with new hearts and new attitudes rather than being ensnared by the false teachings of this world. Now, Michael likes to alliterate. I can do that too, so I'm going to. I see this passage being broken down in a couple different, uh, three different ways. The change, the cause, and the call. The change, the cause, and the call. Titus 3, starting verse 1, let's go. And Paul writes to Titus and says, Remind them to be submissive to rulers. And I'm, I'm pausing there because, like, isn't that just a crazy idea right now? But let, let, let's see what Paul says. Paul says, Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we once also were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Now that's a mouthful. But I want you to notice right at the front, Paul writing to Titus, he's giving Titus his charge, and the first thing he tells Titus in chapter 3 is, remind them. 
And then he lays out several things that the people need to be reminded of. Now, the reason Paul says remind them is because Paul was previously in Crete with Titus. Paul had had gone there. Uh, He had helped start the churches. He had interfaced with these people. He had taught them. Uh, And then he left and left Titus in charge to continue his work there. So the very things that Paul is telling Titus remind the people of are some of the very things that Paul himself taught to those people. And so he's saying remind them. Now, there's another reason why Paul's saying remind them. And, and, And that's simply this, because like children, the people of Crete and you and I, we all need to be reminded of the various instructions uh, of God. Um, like I said, we've got two small kids, five and three. And so what that means for Jessica and me is sometimes we spend enormous chunks of the day just reminding our kids of the rules. Like, anybody there? Like, things like, you don't have to scream. We hear you. Um, don't ride the dog. And don't climb the refrigerator. Like, I don't know whether to tell you not to do that or be proud of you for doing that. Like, but, like, don't do that. Um, fire trucks have quiet sirens in our house. But if I'm quiet, then the people won't hear me. That's the point. You know, so we spend a lot of time reminding our kids of these things. But, you know, if we were to be really honest with each other today... We need to be reminded of those things too, those rules, those things that are true of God, those things that are true of ourselves that God says, this is who I have made you to be. This is who I have called you to be. We need to be reminded. And that's what Paul is doing here. He's telling Titus, remind the people. Now, what is it that they need to be reminded of? Well, first, there is a list of new attitudes, and new behaviors. Going back to verse 1, be subject to rulers, to authorities, be obedient, be ready for every good work, speak evil of no one, avoid quarreling, be gentle, showing perfect courtesy to all people. Now, I don't know about you, but my first inclination is that I look at that list and I say, wow, that's not that hard, is it? But then I really look deeper at it, and that is a hard, hard list of things to do. I mean, even the the very first thing on that list right now, be subject to rulers and authorities. And, And today, in this climate, this month, that seems to some of us to be an absolutely ridiculous idea. I mean, who really wants to be subject to what our authorities and our rulers are telling us to do right now in the face of of this pandemic and in the face of this election? Like, there's something in me that's kind of recoiling even as I'm speaking about that right now. But when I look at Paul, when I look at his context and how he wrote that in the historical context, he's writing to Titus in the shadow of the Roman Empire. Emperor Nero is in charge at this time. Brutal oppression, brutal persecution of Christians, and Paul is telling Titus, be submissive to them. 
be submissive to the rulers and the authorities. But not only that, Christianity was also spreading at this time. It was very new. So Paul and his associates, they were concerned with spreading the gospel. And what Paul saw was that if there's anything that can keep the gospel from spreading right here in the island of Crete, it would be that the people overthrow or try to ignore the rulers and the authorities. And so Paul was very, very concerned with this. Um, he's very concerned with their behavior preventing the spread of Christianity on the island of Crete. And so he's reminding them right up front, be submissive, be subject to the rulers and the authorities. Be a good citizen is essentially what he's saying. Be a good citizen because as a good citizen, then you have space and opportunity to speak the gospel and people will hear. But I also want you to see there that, that this list, this list here that he gives them is pretty much the opposite of the description of the Cretans. Look how the Cretans are described. Verse 3, for we, and Paul's including himself in this list with the Cretans because Paul was in the same boat, he says, for we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Now, if you just compare those two lists, the list of the Cretans and the list that Paul is reminding Titus to remind the people, this is who you are, they're almost exact opposites. You have obedient versus disobedient. You have showing perfect courtesy to all people versus hating others and hating one another. You have gentle versus spending their days pursuing malice and envy. And so Paul is essentially telling Titus, remind the people, remind them that they are to be this way. And this way is the exact opposite of the way that they were before. The idea was that the people before were enslaved to their passions and their pleasures. They were enslaved to their hedonistic pursuit of pleasures. They, it says spending their days in malice and envy um, or spending their life in malice and envy. So it's not just the idea of just living a good life and then occasionally dipping down into these behaviors of malice and envy. No, they were spending their life like that. This was a lifelong pattern of malice and envy. And Paul is saying, remind them, remind them that because of Jesus, they're not supposed to be that way anymore. And so Titus is leading this group of people who have been plucked out of this wickedness, and they're trying to carve out a new way of life. Sometimes they're getting it right, sometimes they're getting it wrong, and, and so Paul is just telling them overall, he's telling Titus overall, remind them that they are different now. I wonder, are there any uh, attitudes or behaviors that are keeping you from a more beautiful life in Jesus? In this charge, Paul is telling, he's calling out 
the beautiful lives in Jesus for these people away from what they once were. And so we see there from this text at the very beginning that there's a change. There's a, a transformation. And Paul wants to remind the people that there is a transformation. And the result of that change is new hearts and new attitudes and new behaviors. Where did that change come from? Verse 4, the cause. Verse 4, but when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, we could spend probably the rest of the sermon on those verses alone because they are packed. They are rich. There's a lot of material there. But what I really, really want to emphasize for you, what I really want you to see there in these verses is the mention of all three persons of the Trinity. And what I mean by that is in... In Christianity, we have this idea, this concept called the Trinity. It's that God is in three persons. God is three persons. He is God the, Son, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. And these exist at the same time for all time, for all eternity. God didn't exist in one form at this point and another form at another point. Um, I, I've heard analogies like, oh, it's kind of like water, and, and water sometimes is a liquid, and then sometimes if you heat it up, it becomes a gas, and then if you freeze it, it becomes ice. It's not the same thing, because water can only exist in one form at one time. So you don't get gas, water, and um, ice at the same time, not from the same molecule of ice. It only takes one form at a time. And that's not the same thing with the Trinity. It's not that God was God the Father at creation, and then when, when things got bad enough, he came down to earth as Jesus, and then after Jesus was crucified and resurrected, then God took the form of the Holy Spirit. There are some people who will teach that, and they're absolutely wrong, because what we see here in this passage is we see all three persons of the Trinity existing at the same time. Now, if you don't understand the Trinity, like ask Pastor Michael, he'd be happy to explain that to you. All right? But I, but I want you to see the Trinity in this text. Okay? Um, verse 4, we see the goodness and the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared. Now the idea there, the, the goodness and kindness of our Savior appearing echoes chapter 2 verse 11, which Michael preached last week, um, that said, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation. Um, this is loving kindness, it comes from the Greek word philanthropia. Uh, philanthropia, depending on how you want to pronounce it. I'm butchering it. But it, it comes from that Greek word. It's the same word where we get our idea of philanthropy. 
or philan uh, philanthropist. Apparently, it's a hard word for me to say. Um, it, and, and this word, it, it, it refers to an affectionate concern and interest for humanity. An affectionate concern for humanity. Now, when I think of philanthropists, I think of guys like Rockefeller, Vanderbilt, maybe even Bill Gates today, who are spending a lot of money, a lot of wealth, a lot of their fortune, trying to make things better for humanity. But this is not the same kind of thing because that philanthropy has limits. God's philanthropy has no limits. It comes from an affectionate concern for his creation, humanity, mankind, the people at Crete, you and me. And then where the same verse says, the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. That word appeared, it's the Greek word epiphany. You know that word, epiphany? Ah, I got it. Um, epiphany means to cause something to be seen or to make one's presence known. So when that idea pops itself into your head and makes its presence known, that's why we say we had an epiphany. It made itself known to me. What we have in this verse is God revealing himself to man through Jesus, the goodness and kindness of God our Savior appeared in the person of Jesus. Colossians 1 says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. John 14, 9, Jesus says, If anyone has seen me, he has seen the Father. So Jesus has made known the goodness, the loving kindness, and the grace of God the Father. And in this text, we see that goodness, that loving kindness poured out on us through the Holy Spirit who was poured out on us through Jesus. The implications here are enormous for our walk. I, I want you to notice that first off, salvation involves all three members of the Trinity. It says, verse 5, he saved us not because of deeds, righteous deeds that we've done, but according to his mercy, according to the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit who was poured out on us through Jesus. Salvation is an act of all three members of the Trinity working in unity to bring us to saving faith. It is started with God, it is poured out on us through Jesus, who gives us the Holy Spirit that enables us to respond to God. And, and when I think about this, and when I say that the implications are, are enormous, just think about what that means for your relationship with God. Like, when I grew up, some of the churches I was growing up in, it was, it was God is angry at you for your sin. God is ready to strike you down because of your disobedience and your rebellion. But Jesus, Jesus loves you so much that he came to die for you 
so that you would not face the wrath of God for your sins. And marginally better than that was God is angry at you for your sins, but he loves you enough that he's sending Jesus to die for your sins. And in, in, in both of those cases, it is setting up God as some angry deity who is ready to smite you, but Jesus steps in. Or maybe God is an angry deity who also loves you, but Jesus has to come and enable him to love you, or, or some weird idea like that. People, this passage is good news for us because it shows the entire Trinity working in unity together. This means we don't have an angry God waiting to smite us and then Jesus swooping in to save the day. It means that God himself has loving kindness, an affectionate concern for humanity and he is ready to save us, Jesus is coming to make that happen. And the entire Trinity is working together to enable you and I to respond to the loving kindness of God our Father. It also means that when we fail, God the Father credits the work of Jesus on our behalf. It, it means that we don't have one person of the Trinity acting differently than the rest. Like Jesus isn't saying, um, God's mad at you, but I love all the little children of the world. God loves all the little children of the world because Jesus loves all the little children of the world and the Holy Spirit loves all the little children of the world. So if you ever think that you are in lack of anything, you call to God because all three members of the Trinity are working for your salvation as well as for your good. The reason is that so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And the scripture can say that we are saved by his grace because of this work of the Trinity. And so we see what we have been saved from. It is this sin that has been in our life. Let's take a look at what we've been saved to. Verse 8. This is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, sorry, Concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed in God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are profitable for men. Now, I love it when Paul starts a phrase with the word this because often you don't know what this refers to. He's saying this is a trustworthy statement. But what statement? What statement's trustworthy? Well, um, I, I can tell you that it, it, it's really referring to verses um, 4 through 7. And I'm ringing a lot. Uh, are you all hearing that? Okay. Um, just wanted to make sure it wasn't me. Um, 
So Paul says this is a trustworthy statement, uh, referring to verses 4 through 7. Paul says that because that one, that, that, that verses 4 through 7, that is one sentence, it is one statement, and it is packed full of a lot of content. And what he's saying here is it's trustworthy. Uh, the Greek word here for trustworthy, it's the same word that we use for faith. So when he says this statement is trustworthy, what he's saying is you can have faith in this. You can trust this. You can stake your life on this statement. And, and, and the reason why uh, I believe it's pointing back to verses 4 through 7 is because he says, um, this is a trustworthy statement, and I want you to insist on these things. And so Paul says both this and these, singular and plural. Well, the plural thought is the thoughts in verses 4 through 7. That is one sentence. And that's why this and these things can exist together. Paul says this is a trustworthy statement, and you can rely on these things. So the entirety of the passage, um, it's, it, it's pointing back, um, or the entirety of this statement, it's pointing back in verses 4 through 7, even back to verse 1. These are multiple things that Paul wants them to, um, to trust in. He wants them to trust in these things. In verse 8, he says why he wants Titus to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God will be careful to devote themselves to good works. Now, what does Paul mean by good works? I mean, if you've, if you've been around church for a while, around this church for a while, we have insisted that it is the gospel that saves us, that salvation is not by good works or good deeds. And, and so we've been very direct that salvation is not by works. But Paul here is saying, I want you to insist on these things. I want you to insist on these, these teachings so that the people will be devoted to good deeds, good works. What does Paul mean then? Well, he, he's not preaching salvation by works. He, he, he's not saying, I want to make sure that they're devoted to good deeds so that they are saved. And so, what does Paul mean by good works? Well, the Greek word here is good works. So, that doesn't give a whole lot more help. So, good deeds, good works. So when the word doesn't give any additional help, we, we have to look at context. Fortunately, Paul uses this idea several times in the book of Titus. Uh, he also uses it in Timothy, which he has written to another one of his coworkers with a lot of the same ideas. Chapter 2, verse 7, Paul says to Titus, show yourself to be a model of good works. Chapter 2, verse 14, Paul says that God is making for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. Chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, be ready for every good work. But then look at how he uses it in chapter 2, verse 16. They, the Cretans, profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. And so Paul here in this book, he's using the word, the idea of works or deeds, he's using that as, uh, as a pointer to their actions. 
He's saying that the Cretans say they know God, but they deny God because of their actions, which are lying and stealing and hating one another and being hated by each other. But the believers should be ready for every good work, should be devoted to good works. What Paul is calling for is visible, spirit-filled, spirit-led life. He's calling for fruit, the the idea of fruit, that, that there will be an observable change. And so where Paul says, Titus, insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. What he's saying there is, Titus, teach them, insist on these things, help them understand who they are so that they will bear fruit in their lives. And that's a very Paul idea because he insists that a a life surrendered to Jesus will have observable fruit. Now, beginning COVID, I I thought it'd be really neat to plant a garden. Um, So I went to Lowe's and got some materials and um, found out that basically all of Austin also had the same idea. And um, we were all planting gardens. And I don't know how that turned out for anybody else, but I know how it turned out for us, that um, it did pretty good there for a little while, and then when the heat of summer hit, those plants just dropped everything. They dropped their leaves, they dropped their flowers, they dropped the fruit, and we have had basically no produce for probably eight weeks now. And then we were out there this morning looking, and we've got some little peppers coming in. And I'm like, okay, maybe it's the cooler weather, um, maybe we were overwatering too much. I don't know, but but we're, we're starting to get fruit. And, and, and what, as I was thinking about this passage, that garden really spoke that gardening done right bears fruit, right, Michael? I, I, I know you, I, my, Michael's got a green thumb, or uh, or so we we think. Um, <laughs> But gardening done right bears fruit. Gardening done horribly when it's 100 degrees outside and you quit watering because what's the point? There's no fruit. Same idea. Titus, insist on these things so that the people will live rightly through Jesus so that their lives will bear fruit. I I summarized it like this. I don't remember where I got it. But right belief and right thinking leads to right behavior. And that's what Paul wants Titus to teach the church at Crete. Think rightly, believe rightly uh, about God, about Jesus, also yourself. Believe rightly and think rightly and bear fruit. Have right behavior. And and ultimately, this is all about living rightly. It's about surrendering to Jesus so that we live rightly. It's about surrendering to Jesus so that we bear fruit. So 
So let me ask you this, or, or, or let me ask this. How does this apply to our lives today in 2020 in Austin, Texas, especially in the middle of a global pandemic? How do we walk in, in this text in the middle of everything that's going on, um, especially whenever I start out talking about attitudes and, and, and how our attitudes might be just slightly tweaked because of COVID? Um, first, I, I think we need to see ourselves reflected in the book of Titus. It was not originally written to us. It was originally written from Paul to Titus about a different people in Crete. But we can see ourselves reflected in this book because like the Cretans, we too were lost. We were alienated from God. But God saved us, not because of anything that we've done, but because of his loving kindness, his mercy toward us. He did that so we might become a part of his family through eternal life. Now, some of us may not be there yet. Some of us may not have surrendered to Jesus in that way. We might not have uh, trusted in Christ for our, uh, for our salvation, for our eternal life. Um, if you're in that boat, but you want to talk more about that, come talk to me, come talk to Michael, talk to Keith. Any of us would love to talk to you about what that means for your life. But for those of us who know Jesus, I think that we can see some additional stuff in this text. And the first thing is be reminded. That's what Paul told Titus to do for the people at, at Crete. Remind them. So we can, too, be reminded. We can remind ourselves of who God is, uh, of what he's done in our life, what he's called us to do. You know, we can get so lost in what's going on around us. We can get so lost in our own minds uh, about, our, uh, about who we are, who we think we are, or what life has done to us. And, and what we need is we need to be reminded of God. We need to be reminded of his story and what he's called us to do, the role he's called us to play a part in that. I think this is a, a, a great point for, uh, for the idea of community groups and initiate groups. These are, these are places that we have created. We've carved out these spots for the, our lives to intersect throughout the week so that we can remind each other of God and, uh, and what he has called us to do, how he's called us to live our life. Number two, press deeper. Press deeper into knowing God the Father through the work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Man, I, I, I read about the Trinity in this passage, and it just makes me say, man, I, I just want to know more. I just, I just want to go deeper with the God that loves me like that. You know, undo, all, undo that teaching that I heard when I was little and undo the idea of God as an angry man waiting to smite me. I want to know the God who has a positive disposition toward me. Like, that's what, I want to press deeper into that. And, and again, community groups, initiate groups, theological training. These are great opportunities for you to press deeper into who God is and what that means for your life. Number three, trust God. Trust God while we pursue impacting our world with good works. Trust God to enable us to do those good works. Trust him with the national circumstances. Trust him with the presidential election. 
Trust him with our personal circumstances. Trust him that he has ordered everything in this life according to his will and his plan, and that his plan is good even when we don't see it. Trust God. Be reminded, press deeper, trust God. That's what a life surrendered to Jesus looks like. That's what we're called to do. Let's pray. God, this idea of of surrender is not a popular idea in our world today. Um, Our sin is that we are a self-absorbed, self-centered culture, but you are calling us to root our lives in you and, and to be reminded of who you are. God, sometimes it's so hard to see how to do that in the midst of our daily busyness. But I pray that you would use this opportunity today, use this scripture today to remind us of who you are and whose we are and who we belong to. Let us fix our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith, so that we might let go of the false teachings of this world, that we might embrace the calling that you've given us, that we might embrace the truth of who you are, so that we might bear fruit for you, and that we might impact the world around us through that fruit. Help us to press deeper into trusting you that you might gain the glory, that you might gain the honor of our praise. In Jesus' name, amen.